Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Um, The last trumpet, yes. This is an exciting subject because, as many of you know, and if you don't know, you'll know this morning, I am not a pre-trib rapture person. I don't believe, matter of fact, let me just say this very bluntly, and this is going to sound very blunt. I think pre-trib rapture is false doctrine. Now, let me clarify, I don't think that people that teach pre-trib doctrine are false teachers, because a false teacher is somebody who does, teaches something willfully in a wrong, unbiblical way to deceive people. The, the pre-trib teachers, pastors that I've known and people that I've listened to over the years, I think, and I, I see that they truly believe what they're teaching. But the more that I've studied this, and and Dan Dyer and I, I think most of you know, wrote a book called What Left Behind Left Out. If you want a copy of this, don't order it on Amazon. Get it from me, because I'll give it to you for free. And don't don't say, well, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. Listen, there was an album that I listened to growing up, uh, Roy Clark Live. It was a great album. Roy Clark was one of my favorite guitarists. He was an amazing a musician, and he said, uh, my first album sold 50,000 copies, and if you ever wanted to have a copy and couldn't find one, you can see me tonight, because I got 50,000 of them. <laughs> well, that's kind of how I am. We, we had 10,000 books printed because somebody actually paid to print them, and so we've got thousands, literally, I've got thousands of books that I can give away, and I'm glad to do that, because if you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. Amen? So, so please don't buy one. See me, and I'll give you one for free. I'm glad to do that. <clears throat> but the last trumpet, as far as I'm concerned, is the having that understanding is foundational to understanding the end times. If you understand the last trumpet, it puts, it's, it's one of the foundation blocks that you can build on to understand what the end times from a biblical perspective look like. All right? So, does anybody, can anybody guess where we're going to go first today in Scripture? Somebody said Revelation. No, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. And I hadn't totally unpacked yet because I don't have my glasses out. So let me do that. 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to start in verse 50. And as you're turning there, or either on your phone or in your Bible, or your Bible on your phone, whichever it may be, Let me say this, that one of the basic foundational principles of Bible interpretation is that Scripture interprets Scripture. I don't interpret Scripture. Pastor Scott doesn't interpret Scripture. Your favorite teacher or preacher on TV does not interpret Scripture. If they put their spin on it, that's their interpretation. But the basic principle means this, that we look for other passages in the Bible of the same subject— and it gives us different characteristics or different um, things about that subject that we can look at, and it's like putting the pieces of a puzzle together. Scripture interprets Scripture. And so what's happened with pre-trib rapture too often is man has interpreted Scripture the way he wants it to be. And listen, if, if pre-trib rapture were true, that we were going to be out of here, you all know that there's a final seven-year period. Most uh, end-time teachers talk about a final seven-year period, right? If you didn't know that, you know it now. And that comes from the 70 weeks of Daniel, which I can't get into today, but it's a seven-year period 
that most end-time teachers, I say most, I don't know that for a fact, but I, I would speculate that most end-time teachers say hasn't happened yet. And I think that's true, and I'll show you why today toward the end of this message. But there's a final seven-year period, and pre-trib rapture says that the church has to be taken out before that final seven-year period because they believe it's, the seven-year period is full of God's judgments and God's wrath being poured out, and Scripture is clear that believers, us, Christians, that we are not appointed unto God's wrath. And we're not. Amen? So we got a problem here. Either if, if this post-trib teaching is true, this post-tribulation, this post-seven years, post-trib means after the seven years or at the end of the seven years, if that's true, then what about those seven years? And I don't have time to go into all that today, but you can get a book and read about it, okay? <laughs> um, but that's what pre-trib rapture is, all right? Well, you're going to see today, and I believe in Jesus' name by the end of this message, that you will be converted to be a post-trib pre-wrath person from Scripture, not from Jeff's opinion, all right? We're going to start in 1 Corinthians 15, 50. It says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. So in our state that we're in right now, we cannot inherit, or our full inheritance, because we've already inherited it by the blood of Jesus. We're in covenant with God, but as far as living with Him for eternity, this mortal body cannot live with Him in eternity as it is right now. So that's what the Apostle Paul is saying to us here. Verse 51 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That word sleep means die. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, at the last trumpet, remember that, when, when, is, when does this happen? At the last trumpet. Not the first trumpet, not the fourth trumpet, not the fifth trumpet. The last trumpet. If there were seven cars in a row, and I said, go to the last car in the row, and they were numbered. There were big numbers on the side of each car. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Which car would you go to if I said go to the last car? You go to the seventh car because there's six cars before it. And we're going to see in the book of Revelation that there are seven trumpets. The Apostle Paul, by the Spirit of God, told us very clearly that this event, this changing from mortal to immortal, happens at the last trumpet. That's extremely important and something that pre-trib rapture teachers completely overlook and forsake. All right? So remember that as we move through these passages today. Now turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is, as I mentioned earlier, this is what you would call or what we would call a parallel passage. It's speaking of the same event. It has the same characteristics, but it gives us different information. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 15, if I want to go to 15, yeah. No, let's, let's start in 13. It says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, in other words, those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. This is often used at funerals for a good reason, because as Christians, we don't sorrow when somebody dies as people who have no hope. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is that we will have eternity one day with him and with our loved ones and everyone who has passed on before us who were believers. Verse 14 says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep or have died in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Now, we just saw that in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 2. 1551, 2-T-O-O. Okay. That the, the, the dead in Christ, those who are already dead, are resurrected first. Then those who are alive and remain will be changed from mortal to immortal. That's the sequence of events at the last trumpet. Okay, so this is a parallel passage to 1 Corinthians 15, 52. At the twinkling of an eye at the, at the last trumpet, Okay. We're talking about the same subject here. Verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, in this verse, we get an extra added feature, and that is the trumpet of God. Now, we talked about the last trumpet. This says the trumpet of God. And you're going to see that the trumpet of God is actually handed to an angel. In Revelation chapter 8, he gives seven trumpets to seven angels. And those trumpets begin to sound. So God gives the trumpets to the angels. The angels sound the trumpets. If you're a really spiritually elite person, you would say a shofar. I don't have a shofar. I wish I did. I'd blow it today and somebody would go crazy, you know. (laughs) So... This is a trumpet. It's the last trumpet. And what happens at the last trumpet? The dead in Christ rise first. Then those of us who are alive at that point in time are changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye from mortal to immortal. Is everybody following me so far? This is a very simple message, and I don't want anybody misunderstanding anything I'm saying this morning. I think I believe with all my heart in Jesus' name we can all follow this and understand it by the end of the message. All right? So, so far what we've seen is There's a last trumpet, not a first trumpet, not a fourth trumpet, not a seventh trumpet. If the seventh trumpet's the last trumpet, then that's the one. We go to the last trumpet. And God has a trumpet, and we'll see in Revelation, I'm not going to read Revelation chapter 8, but you can read it on your own, that he gives seven, seven angels, seven trumpets. He gives the trumpets, it's the trumpet of God. And this sounds, whenever God says it's ready to sound, we don't know the day or the hour, but God does. It says, for the, verse 16 again, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead will, will rise first. Then those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. All right, so we've got two parallel passages so far that talk about a trumpet and, and the last trumpet. So we're, we're getting more information as we go along here. Now I want you to turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Now, when I get done today, I, there may be questions in your mind. If you have questions while I'm going through this, write them down. Talk to me in the lobby. Talk to me after church. Talk to me at the mall. If you see me at the mall, we'll have a discussion at the mall. I don't care. As long as I'm not throwing somebody out of the mall. You have to wait. Wait till I throw them out, and then, then we'll have a discussion. Um, and I want you to know this, too. I want to say this to everybody here today. This is my resting face. I'm not angry. I'm not upset. I'm very joyful at the moment. I don't have any negative thoughts going through my mind. So if you see me in the lobby standing over there and you see me like this, don't think anything bad of me. I'm a joyful person 99.9% of the day. I'm, I'm a happy person, okay? 
don't be afraid to approach me and ask me a question. doesn't matter what the question is. We can have a discussion about end times any time of the day. I love the Word of God. There's three subjects in the Bible that are my top three favorite subjects, creation, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and end times. And I will discuss, I'll discuss anything about the Word of God anytime with you. Know this, though, that I do get pretty passionate about certain things. And you could almost walk away thinking, was he mad at me? I, I'm not an angry person. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just a passionate person. If I get too passionate with you, just say, Canfield, dial, dial it down a little bit. <laughs> all right? So I just want you to know my personality and know, know how I am about these things, all right? Where did I say to go to? Revelation chapter 4. Now, the reason I'm, I'm going to read verse 1 here in a moment, and the reason I'm going to read this is, I want you, I'm not going to go into a lot of uh, variation or a lot of uh, comparisons between pre-trib and post-trib today, because I don't want to confuse anybody. And I don't, I'm not talking down to you, not that you would be confused. I, I don't mean that that way, all right? I want to be careful how I say these things. But if you're a pre-trib rapture believer, or you've heard pre-trib rapture teaching, one of the things that they will say is that the church is caught away in Revelation 4.1 for a couple of different reasons. One, John, he's, he's being caught up to heaven. He says, you know, the, there's the voice like a trumpet. It says, come up hither, and I'll show you the things which must take place after this. I basically, I didn't quote it verbatim, but I quoted verse 4.1 to you. So that's what Revelation 4.1 says. And pre-trib rapture teachers say that's when the church is taken out. And everything that happens in Revelation after that, all the way up until the second coming of the Lord in Revelation 19, we're not here for. That's pre-trib rapture doctrine in a nutshell. Now, I want to show you the problems with that teaching. We have already looked at one problem, and I'll re reiterate that here in a moment. Revelation 4.1 says, after these things, now this is, this is after chapter 1 when Jesus appears to John, and he's amidst the lampstands, and he says, John, write the things you see, write the things that are, and write the things that will happen after this. That's what Jesus tells John, the apostle John, to do. Revelation chapter 1 are the things that John saw. He saw Jesus in the midst of the lampstands. And he said, what are these lampstands? And Jesus said, the lampstands are seven churches. So the things that are, are chapters two and three. So you could divide the book of Revelation up into three parts, the things that he saw, the things that are, and the things that will happen hereafter. Chapter one is the things that are, chapters two and three are the things, no, I'm sorry, chapter one is the things he saw, chapters two and three are the things that are, which were the seven churches. And then from 4.1 on, Revelation 4.1 on, are the things which will happen after John has his revelation, which could have started 2000, almost 2,000 years ago. But, but again, preacher of rapture says, no, the things from 4.1 on will not start until after the church is raptured in Revelation 4.1. Is everybody following me? Am I confusing anyone? Raise your hand and ask a question if you have a question. <laughs> I don't want anybody being confused. Okay, so the problem with this is, Revelation 4.1 says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet, speaking to me, saying, Come up here, I will show you things which must take place after this. So preacher of rapture says, that's when the church is raptured. The church is never mentioned after Revelation 4.1, and so the church is out of here. Well, the church is mentioned a lot in Revelations 2 and 3 because he's writing letters to churches. That's why the church is mentioned. That's why the word church 
is spoken of in Revelation 2 and 3 because he's writing two churches. But I want to tell you something, if you read from Revelation 4, 1 on, you'll find the word saints mentioned several times, and you'll also find the phrase, those who have the commandments of Jesus Christ, who are those? Those, those are Christians. So Christians are talked about after Revelation 4, 1. That's one problem I have with the preacher of rapture doctrine, saying that we're caught up in Revelation 4, 1. The second problem I have is this, this was not a trumpet. What was this? This was a voice that sounded like a trumpet. It's not a trumpet. And the Apostle Paul was very clear at the last trumpet. 1 Thessalonians 4 is very clear, the trumpet of God. This was a voice like a trumpet, so it's not even a trumpet. The third pro problem I have is this. Is this the last trumpet? Because when are we changed and when are we caught up to meet him? At the last trumpet. You realize there's seven angelic trumpets that follow this. So there's a lot of problems with the preacher of rapture doctrine saying that we are caught away in Revelation 4.1. Is anybody confused? We all, we're all still together on this, right? Okay, I'm just making sure. Let's turn to the last trumpet. This is, go to Revelation chapter 11. Now this is the final angelic trumpet in the book of Revelation. So you would think that since this is the actual last trumpet, that we would see some things in here that would indicate Boy, this really is it. This is the last trumpet. This, this lines up with 1 Corinthians 15, 52, with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I mean, this, this is the one. Because again, this is the last trumpet we're going to look at. So this is very important. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 says this. Then the seventh angel sounded. He's sounding a trumpet. You see in Revelation chapter 8, if you want to read it on your own, God gives them trumpets. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. What's this talking about? I think very clearly it's talking about the second coming of the Lord. That's when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of our Christ, when he returns. Any, any disagreements? I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to read into Scripture. I'm trying to draw truth out of Scripture. If, I'm trying to, if you think I'm trying to read into it, raise your hand and stop me and say, hey, Canfield, you're reading into that. That's wrong. So this is the second coming of the Lord at the last trumpet. Then it says, and the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned, the nations were angry, and your wrath has come. So if somebody were to ask you or me, when does the wrath of God come? Biblically speaking, what should be our answer? At the last trumpet. Because if it comes at the last trumpet, that means it hadn't come before that. Is that logical? That's a pretty reasonable assumption. I'm not trying to read into it. I'm trying to draw truth out again. That's the proper way to interpret Scripture, draw truth out. If God's wrath comes at the last trumpet, it means it hadn't come before that. That means you realize the first six trumpets are not the wrath of God. So there's another pre-trib misinterpretation. Because we're not appointed unto God's wrath, but the wrath of God doesn't come until the last trumpet, which is when we're changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye from mortal to immortal. There's no problem 
with allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture, there's no problem in this scriptural interpretive paradigm that I'm giving you this morning concerning the last trumpet. Because we're changed in a moment, yeah, but at the last trumpet, when the wrath of God comes, we're not appointed unto His wrath. So don't, don't let a pre-trib individual set up these straw men and say, well, we have to be out of here in Revelation 4.1 because everything that happens after that is the wrath of God. No, it's not. The wrath of God comes at the last trumpet. Now, I, did a, I, I can't get into it this morning because that's not what I'm here to teach about, but are the, I would assume, Kay, that the, if somebody were interested, are the CDs still available from the time that I came here? And I don't know, what was it, 10 years ago maybe? Something like that. So you could probably get it. I did a whole message on the wrath of God which is very important to understand what the wrath of God looks like in Scripture when we're going through these end-time teachings, okay? But anyway, let me, let me finish up here with Revelation chapter 11. Hallelujah. I should just have you come up and take the microphone, put that in the microphone and read it. That's what I did at my, in my small group, by the way, with a lot of Scriptures that I, I looked it up on my phone. You know how your phone will read it to you and just let everybody hear it on my phone. Anyway. Sorry, John. I'm, I'm getting a little distracted, brother. <laughs> anyway, uh, where was I? Verse 18 again. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. So it comes at the last trumpet, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants and prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. So when are we judged and given rewards? The dead, the prophets, and the saints at the last trumpet. Is it all fitting together so far? It happens at the last trumpet. It, it doesn't happen in Revelation 4.1. And here's what, I've, I've had a lot of discussions, obviously, with pre-trib people. I had one pastor friend of mine in Sullivan who was a great guy. I liked him. We loved each other. But he, when Dan and I started writing this book, and let me tell you something about the book, because I've I've, I'm watching my clock. I have a little bit of time. I always tell people this, Dan preached it and I wrote it. Because when Dan introduced this subject to me at lunch one day, and I, I think I told that story when I was here 10 years ago. Um, well, I'll tell it again. Why not? I got a little bit of time here. Here's, what, here's, how, this, here's how this information came into my life. I was pre-trib growing up in the Church of Christ. We had, there was a trilogy of movies that we watched. Uh, one of them was called um, Thief in the Night with Larry Norman's song at the beginning of it. And those, that trilogy of movies creeped me out. It was, it was freaky, wasn't it? You remember those? And uh, so, but I was taught pre-trib growing up. And so I was taught pre-trib at Rhema. Nothing against Rhema. I love Rhema. But, you know, you're, you're, I don't care who the best biblical teacher in the world is. You're probably going to find something you might disagree with with them. We're all human. We all, you know, I was, uh, I'm getting, I'm taking a lot of rabbit trails here, but I will get back around to it. Um, at one of our RMAI meetings one year, and you guys might remember this, uh, Mike and even Matt, if he was there, Mike and uh, Pastor Mike and Pastor Scott, Doug Jones said to a room full of ministers, probably about 60 of us there, he said, every single one of you in this room had preached wrong doctrine at some point in time. You remember that? And you could hear a pin drop in the room, and I thought, preach false doctrine. And then I thought, yeah, because I've preached pre-trib before. And now I don't agree with it anymore. So he was right. And his point was, you got to be careful and, and watch how you're pointing your finger at other people, realizing that you've done the same thing, 
You know, so I'm not pointing my finger at any pre-trib teachers. I'm just saying I think the doctrine itself is not correct. Where was I at before that? Was I talking about Dan? No, Dan and I meeting for lunch. We used to do a one-hour radio broadcast every month called Iron Sharpens Iron, and uh, we were meeting to talk about that next radio broadcast, and we were at Burger King, and I always say this, our, it's one of those moments in life where you remember where you were, you remember what you were doing. When God speaks to you, it's just like, boom. And I was having a Whopper with cheese, onion rings, Onion rings with zesty sauce. Yeah, yeah, people are getting hungry now. I better stop with that. And a Diet Coke or Diet Dr. Pepper or something. And Dan said to me, he said, have you ever thought about the fact that the Bible says that the last trumpet, the dead in Christ will rise? I said, yeah, I just used that at a graveside for a funeral. He said, well, how many trumpets are there in the book of Revelation? And I knew there were seven trumpets. But I quoted from a Finnis Dake book, and I love Finnis Dake. Again, I'm not pointing the finger at Finnis Dake and saying he's a false teacher or anything. Finnis Dake was a great theologian. Uh, but I had just read a book of his called, I think the title was Revelation. It was about the book of Revelation, obviously. And uh, Finnis Dake said this, and I remember highlighting it. He said, we know that the last trumpet in 1 Corinthians 15:52 is not the same as the seventh angelic trumpet in the book of Revelation. And I highlighted that, but here's the thing. I went back and looked at it, and he never gave any scripture to back that up. Because there is no scripture. Last is last. How can you get past that? And so, but I quoted Finnis Day to Dan, and I said, Dan, I said, the last trumpet in 1 Corinthians 52 is not the same as the last trumpet in the book of Revelation. And you know what my friend, my pastor friend that I was so close to said to me? A word of faith pastor? He said, give me scripture. And I went, uh, uh. And I realized I had done something that I had preached against. I had said something that I could not back up with the word of God. And I said it emphatically, too. Well, it's not the same thing. And he said, give me scripture, which is the proper response. And I didn't have an answer for that, and that bothered me. And he started sharing some things with me. He was in the middle of teaching an 18-week series on the end times in the book of Revelation. And I said, well, give me that series that you're teaching. And it was on tape. Remember cassette tapes? Some of you, some of the young people probably don't remember cassette tapes. And I listened to that. And I want to tell you something. That was the first time in my Christian life that I felt like I understood the end times. That I could actually explain it to somebody else from A to Z from a biblical perspective. It flipped my whole theological world upside down. And that's where the book came from. I literally transcribed word for word those cassette tapes at my desk in my office. I would play it, type, pause, play it, type, pause. And I transcribed his 18-week series of teaching, which led, and then I, then I went to the ISU library to find all of the, because if you know Dan Dyer, I mean, when he gets up and preaches, and I'm doing this today, but this is him. I, this was not me typically. I have one page of notes, and they're mostly scriptures. That's how Dan preaches all the time. I'm not like that. And I, I had my stuff on computer. I had them in files. I had everything organized. I said, Dan, where's, where's all the documentation to back up all these things you're saying about the mark of the beast and about this and about that? He goes, well, it's, it's in a box under my bed somewhere. And I just thought, well, forget it. I don't want him searching for it. So I went to the ISU library and looked up all these things. That's what the footnotes are in the book. So as I say, Dan wrote it, or Dan preached it, and I wrote it. But... I think if you get a book and really study it and read through it, if you have questions, let me know. But where was I at before that? 
Oh, we were in Revelation chapter 11. So we're talking about the last trumpet. Why did I get off on that? Because I had time. Yeah, thank you, sir. He knows. So then in verse 19, the last trumpet, it says, The temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in the temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. That is the wrath of God. The wrath of God, a description of the wrath of God is something that man or even Satan cannot do. It's things that only God can do. It's the sun becoming dark. It's the things that were poured out on Egypt. It's a, it's a worldwide flood. That wasn't Satan, that was God. And Satan couldn't have done that. Only God can do that. The wrath of God is not man dropping a nuclear bomb on another nation. That's man against man. That's Satan deceiving people and telling them they should do certain things and convincing them they should do certain things. That's not the wrath of God. But oftentimes in preacher rapture teaching, that's how the wrath of God is presented. It's kind of a combination of both. And so understanding what the wrath of God is is also very important. Turn now to Matthew chapter 24. Let's look at another parallel passage, and I think you'll find this interesting. Matthew chapter 24. I've got to hurry up a little bit. Sorry, I got off on too many rabbit trails. Matthew 24, 15. <clears throat> so when, does, when, is, when are we caught up together with him, and when are we changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye? When, when are the, the dead in Christ resurrected first? At the first last trumpet. Yeah. <laughs> at the first of seven last, or the, before the seven last trumpet. No, at the last trumpet, that's when it happens. When does the God, wrath of God come, according to Scripture? At the last trumpet. So is there a conflict between us being changed in a moment and us being and the dead in Christ resurrected and the wrath of God coming? Is there a conflict in this, what I'm teaching you this morning, what the Word of God says? There's no conflict. Because the wrath of God, again, comes at the last trumpet. Now, Matthew 24, 15 says... Therefore, when you see the abomination of, this is Jesus talking, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Now, I've got to stop for a moment and explain. I talked about that final seven-year period. This is, what you're going to see right now is one of the reasons I don't think that final seven-year period has happened yet. But there is a final seven-year period. In the middle of that final seven-year period, at the three-and-a-half-year mark, is what's called the abomination of desolation or the abomination that makes desolate in Daniel. That happens in the midway point of that seven years. Jesus is giving us a mile marker here in saying, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Wow. I mean, he's pinpointing it. This is the three-and-a-half-year mark. And you can read Daniel 70 weeks, or you can buy one of our books, and you'll see that in there. We, we spell that all out. We have a whole chapter on Daniel 70 weeks in there, okay? So this is the three-and-a-half-year mark that Jesus is talking about here. Verse 16 says, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Where's Judea? In Israel. It's actually in the West Bank. How many of you have heard the West Bank on the news lately? The West Bank has been in dispute between the Israelis and the Palestinians for decades, ever since, probably since, uh, when did the Israelis take that? In the Six-Day War, I think it was? 60s, maybe? So it's been in dispute because the Palestinians say that's our land, and the Isra Israel said, no, that's our land. Verse 17 says, let him who is on the housetop go down, not go down to take anything out of his house, and let him who is in the field not go back to get his children. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days, Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. So who is he addressing in this passage concerning the abomination of desolation? 
He's addressing the Jews in Judea. He's not addressing the entire world. He's not addressing America. He's addressing the Jews in context of this passage. And he says, when you see the abomination and desolation, you head for the hills. You get out. And he's going to tell us why here in just a moment. And this is the reason I don't believe this has happened yet. Verse 21 says, for then, for when? When the abomination of desolation occurs, when, when that happens, there will be great tribulation such as it has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. And we're talking about Israel here. You think Israel's been persecuted up to this point in history? There's coming a day when it's going to be worse than the world has ever seen. We saw a million Jews killed when Titus, the Roman emperor, went into Jerusalem and destroyed the second temple. They say, historians say, of the time, the, the ancient historians, say he killed at least a million Jews. We saw six million Jews killed in World War II. That's pretty bad persecution. Jesus is saying when the abomination of desolation happens, it's going to be worse than the world has ever seen. Worse than we've ever seen until that point in time and ever shall be. So what's happening over in Israel right now, we haven't even hit the abomination of desolation yet. I mean, it was bad. Don't misunderstand. I'm not downplaying what Hamas did. That was horrible. But this war in Israel is just a war and rumor of wars, folks. We haven't come to the abomination of desolation yet because he's saying, you people in the West Bank, you better head for the hills. And I personally believe, and I can't get up too far off on this because I don't have time, and, but you can ask me about it some other time. I personally think that's probably when the 144,000 are killed. In, in the book of Revelation. And that's another, boy, I don't want to get off on too, I don't want to confuse anybody this morning, so I don't want to get off on too many rabbit trails. I almost did, but I'll, I'll stay with this. So the point being is, we're not even to the abomination of desolation yet. We're not even to that three and a half year mark yet. Because when that happens, you'll see it on the news. Well, and, if, and if the mainstream media doesn't carry it, there are new, there's news outlets like Victory News, I guarantee you, they'll be talking about it. The church will be talking about it because Israel is going to suffer a persecution like they have never suffered before. And they've suffered a lot of persecution in the last 2000 years. So that's coming. That's why I don't, I believe this hasn't even happened yet. This last seven year period, verse 22 says, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. And, and again, he's talking about Israel here, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Look, he is in the inner rooms, do not go out and believe it. Because trust me, when the Jews are persecuted that hard, they're going to be looking for their Messiah. And he said, there's going to be a lot of false Christ arise in that day. Don't, don't listen to them. Verse 27 says, for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, the eagles will be gathered together. Now watch this in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Now that's the wrath of God being poured out. And when does it happen? immediately after the tribulation of those days. This is at the, this, this, from the abomination of desolation forward to the end of that final seven years, 
That's the end of what people have called the seven years of tribulation. There isn't actually in the Bible seven years of tribulation, by the way. Can't find it. There is a three and a half year period of great tribulation, but the bulk of that is going to be in Israel. Not that Christians won't be persecuted. Wednesday night, if you come Wednesday night, I'm going to talk about Satan's wrath in Revelation chapter 12, and you'll see that the Christians are mentioned in Revelation 12, and Satan comes after Israel and Christians, because he hates us both with a passion, okay? So this is immediately after the tribulation of those days. Verse 30 says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. What is that? That's the second coming of Christ. After the, immediately after the tribulation of those days, Jesus comes, the wrath of God's poured out. We just saw that in Revelation chapter 11 at the last trumpet. Jesus comes, he says, the nations were angry, your wrath has come, time of the dead and of the prophets and the saints, they should be judged and given rewards. This parallels that perfectly. Can you see that? Now watch this in verse 31. And he will send, this is God, and he will send his angels with the great sound of a what? A trumpet. Would you suspect that this is probably the last trumpet after the tribulation of those days? And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. This is the last trumpet when we're gathered together after the tribulation of those days. Don't let a pre-trib rapture person tell you that we're going to be here or we're going to be taken out before that final seven-year period. We're taken out, we're changed in a moment, and we're caught up together with him at the last trumpet, which the other scriptures have already borne that out. Now, I've got one last scripture to show you this morning, and to me, this is the linchpin that kind of puts the, uh, puts to death a pre-trib rapture scenario, Revelation chapter 20. If you're not convinced now, I hope that after I read this one to you, you will be convinced that pre-trib rapture is false teaching. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1, it says, Then I saw an angel. This is after Armageddon, by the way. This is after Jesus returns with the sword coming out of his mouth, and he destroys the armies that have attacked Israel, and so on and so forth. And we, we come back with him because we've been caught up together with him, and we come back with him. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So Satan, after Armageddon, will be bound for 1,000 years. That's good news. And he cast him into a bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should not deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Verse 4 says, Then I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for 1,000 years. Now, if these people had been beheaded because of their belief in God and not taking the mark of the beast, were they here for that last three and a half years? The last three and a half years is when the mark of the beast is implemented. I could show you that if I had time from Revelation chapter 13. The last three and a half years is when the Antichrist rises up, deceives the world, and implements the mark of the beast for those who are great and small and causes everybody to receive a mark, and you can't buy or sell without the mark. That's when the mark of the beast happens. So these people that were beheaded for their witness 
because they wouldn't take the mark, when were they beheaded? When, when were they living? During that final three and a half years. Can you see that? Okay. Now watch this in verse, I think it's, uh, where am I at? Verse 5. But the rest of the dead did not live until the thousand years were finished. The rest of the dead, by the way, are non-believers. Okay, because the believers have already been resurrected. Now watch this. It says this is the second resurrection because the church was raptured in Revelation 4.1. No, it says this is the first. Oh, my time's up. Sorry, I've got to stop. It says this is the first resurrection. These people who were martyred because they wouldn't take the mark of the beast, they lived during that last three and a half years. And Jesus said these people that he's resurrecting are part of the first resurrection, not the second resurrection. If preacher of rapture were true, this verse would have to say this is the second resurrection. Can you see that? So, I hope everybody has followed. I hope I've taught it well today, well enough that you could all follow it and understand it. I, I, the last thing a teacher wants is for people to be confused because then he's failed. <laughs> and I don't want to fail at this. I want to be successful at teaching this. So, let me just say this as I close. Uh, we have a church at large, not just in this country, but around the world, who statistically believe and teach a pre-trib rapture. And somebody asked me uh, once, after they read our, the book that Dan and I did, they, they, they said, well, how, how did this information make an impact on you? What has it done for you in your life? And my biggest answer to them would be this. Not only, not only did it give me tools to understand the last days, so that I can actually explain it to somebody else. But here's my biggest concern about pre-trib rapture doctrine. And, and I've got relatives that are staunch pre-trib people. Believe we're going to be out of here before all this bad stuff happens. Before the mark of the beast. Before, you know, after Revelation 4.1. All that stuff that happens. The seals, trumpets, vials, all that stuff. We're going to be out of here so it doesn't matter. Okay, so if I'm a staunch pre-trib believer. But I'm still here during that final three and a half years. And the mark of the beast comes. And trust me. At least this, is, this may be an opinion, but, but I think the devil is pretty shrewd. I'm not giving him glory. I'm just saying we know that the devil is a great deceiver. I don't think the mark of the beast is going to be presented with pitchforks and horns. It's going to be presented as the greatest thing since sliced bread. Has anybody seen on YouTube the commercial where the lady is checking out at a grocery store or something and all she does is wave her hand across a scanner? Boom, checked out. All of her bill paid, gone. It's going to be presented as the greatest thing since sliced bread. Now, if you're a staunch preacher believer and you don't believe that we're going to be here for the mark of the beast and you take the mark so you can buy and sell and so you can buy food and all of that, the Bible says you're condemned. Read Revelation chapter 14 and see what happens to those who receive the mark. The mark of the beast is about who we worship. Do we worship God, the God of the Bible, or do we worship our money and our finances and, and things? I actually had a lady in my church, an uh, older lady, say to me, she said, well, I'll take the mark so that my grandkids can eat. I thought, then you don't fear God. You just flat don't fear God, and you don't believe what his word says either. 
Because if you take the mark, you are condemned. I don't care how great of a Christian you think you are. If you take the mark, you're stating to God, I love my things and I love to be able to eat and I love all the things that I can have on this earth more than I love you. Now, is that going to happen in America? I don't know. I'm, I'm optimistic about America. Some of you may not be. I know that we're in, in real turbulent times concerning America. But remember this. Please remember this. America is about we the people. We determine who gets in government. We determine what our government does. And right now, the people are not doing that. But we have the power to do that. We need to stand up and do it because God has given us a great thing here in the United States of America. God's the one that sets up nations and takes down nations. God set up this nation and he gave it to we the people. We can determine the direction of this nation. We don't have to be part of the one world government. If I had time, I would do a teaching on the different governments that you, see, you can see in scripture. And the one, the one government that I don't see in, in the one world government is the United States of America. And I don't have time to teach all that. I've got a few with me if you want one after the service. I can get more. I've got thousands. <laughs> so we can determine the direction of this nation. And we, and we can have people in our government that will say, we're not giving up our sovereignty and we're not doing that mark. We'll take care of ourselves. So I am somewhat optimistic about America. But we're privileged to live in this country. But there's going to be a lot of Christians around the world who are going to be pressured because of their financial situations, because of their family situations, because of their living conditions to take a mark. If they take the mark, they're condemned. That's why this teaching is so important, to understand when the church is changed, when that, act, that event actually happens. It's not in Revelation 4.1, folks. It's at the last trumpet. I hope you've seen that today. I've, I've got to shut up and quit. Can I say a prayer for all of us before? Because the one thing I don't want is this kind of teaching, putting fear in anybody's heart. We haven't been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Even if the church in America has to become like the church in the book of Acts, guess what, folks? That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Because they rose up in faith and did mighty signs and wonders. It's like what Dennis Cook said, you know, when you're in the jungle and you get bit by a snake, you don't call 911. That's why he saw so many miracles down in the Darien jungle. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the knowledge and understanding of your word. We thank you, Father, that you have revealed these things to us so that we can help others see them too. And I ask you, Lord God, to make all the things that I said today clear, clear from scripture, from your word, Father. We exalt you and we exalt your word above our own opinions every day of the week, 24-7, Father. We thank you for what you have shown us. And I ask you, Father, that if there's any fear in this room about the last days, that it would be alleviated in our hearts, Father, by your spirit, that you would just take it out of us because we haven't been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So help us walk in power, love, and a sound mind, Father. But to have a sound mind, Father, we have to understand what your word says, your truth. We have to be prepared. We want to be like the sons of Issachar, Father. We want to be those who do great exploits because we know our God. And Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God, for the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord, that that truth will alleviate any fear and any doubt. We thank you, Father, that in these times that we live in, you will cause us to stand up and speak truth in the ears of those who need to hear it. And I thank you, Father, for this day and this opportunity to teach this. And we give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.